Good morning, good afternoon. Avita Zane from Bricktown. Dad, how you doing? Doing fine. It's it's a little cold today, uh, but other than that, it's right after Christmas and uh, getting ready for New Year's, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, survive some of the other current things that are going on in our country and our neighborhoods. And I wish everybody well and good holidays. Definitely. Happy holidays. We hope everyone is blessed and safe. Uh, what do you want to talk about today? Well, I guess uh, a couple of different things, but I guess the main things I wanted to talk about is, you know, the eight little people that I kind of deal with as, as my children, and the, I guess, two or three or four of them that are grandchildren, because they're out there, and they will listen to this at some point in the, in the future, and I'll say, how come you didn't talk about me? And each each of them is very, very unique. So I wanted to spend a few minutes at least to give their names and say what they're doing and, and how successful they are. First of all, I'll say none of them are in jail. None of them are doing anything wrong. And all of them are, are successful in whatever they're doing. And what they're doing varies by what their interests were and a lot of these are interests I didn't know much about before they started doing it. And I wanted to start off, I guess, with uh, probably the two oldest ones, and that would be uh, Bobby and Lars. Uh, Bobby is, uh, uh, he's 40-something now, I'm not sure how old he is, 44, 45, something like that. And uh, he's got a master's degree exceptional teacher of, of uh, kids with autism and special special needs kids and he's, he's done as well as a teacher he's, got, he's very empathetic and he does that very well he's currently uh, staying in the staying in the park with us and he uh, just you know helps out in the park and he, he teaches uh, special needs kids in Aberdeen, North Carolina, and he's done that in a couple of locations, and he's always been uh, very good at it. I've had a number of parents who have come up to me and talked about how good he was at dealing with kids, especially kids of color, uh, how, he's, how he's very good and able to change. I know in one or two places, one or two instances, he's changed these people's lives forever, but positive. I mean, there's one little girl I know that I knew as a kid, and now she's just graduated from high school, from college. But but she, I knew, uh, Bobby was one of her teachers one year, and he kind of just straightened her out. Uh, he knew her mother very well, because he, he had grown up with her mother at the same time, basically. And she was just a hellion in school until he got there, and she graduated from college when I'm going to graduate school now. Because he kind of straightened her out and got her. I remember his, my mother was to stop me and start talking to me about it. So he's, he's done a lot of good things in that way. The, the number one, number next one I'll talk about, I guess, is, is you. Uh, you're an intellectual with 160 IQ and uh, one on, you know, always pers- persevere in schooling and, and getting things, getting things accomplished and finished. You are by far the most uh, finished academician we have in our family. I mean, it's no question. 
much better than me. I know that. And you, you are, are the book writer. You probably put out a couple books a year. You're very patient and methodical in doing that, something I never was really as methodical about it. But uh, you, you always have been driven to, to do whatever you're going to do, and you do, and you're very successful at that. And people need to be proud of that. I am. I guess then you return to come down to over to Lars, one of the Minnesota artisans, and he's a cabinet maker. A cabinet maker is, is different than a carpenter, and a cabinet maker is much does much finer work, gets paid a lot more, and his work is, is seen in a lot of different places. Like uh, when the owner of Best Buy decided he wanted to have some cabinets made, he called on Lars. Lars put him in, you know, like a thirty, forty thousand dollars hit. So uh, he's excellent doing work. And if you ever come to our house, you'll see some of that work right now. Because uh, we live in domes, but in our main dome, there's a whole ensemble of, uh, I guess, cabinets. What word did you say that, that he's put in there? And they're just beautiful. I'm looking at them right now. In fact. Uh, he, he's done a wonderful job doing that. Uh, but plus, he's, you know, he's living back on, on the other other main farm in Minnesota, and he's keeping track of the. I think they they're changing that into a cattle farm at some point, and they're doing stuff with that right now. But he's he's been up there doing that, and he's he's very much into dog husbandry lately. I've noticed got a number of puppies he just had, I think six or eight from whatever dog, one of his, ten you said, ten and the dog, and, and he sells these puppies for 800 bucks a piece, and he had, because he had to drive about, about 200 miles to take, take one to the, somebody wanted one, uh, but he's, he's doing well, then uh, it, since we started talking about the farm, one of the other persons working on the farm is Chris, Christian. And Christian's, oh, he's 40-something, I guess now. He just left. He was here for Christmas uh, with his wife. Uh, and uh, he lives he lives in the, in the city of Minnesota. Uh, I guess it's called, uh, what was that? White Fairway. Yeah. So it's, it's, we're one of the suburbs of Minneapolis-St. Paul. But he, he does heavy equipment work and all kinds of stuff there. But one of the things, projects he's got even showing me was the uh, renovation of the home farm that we have up there. That's 110 acres. And he just got a federal grant to uh, basically modernize it and do stuff for, for winterizing and also to put it into like a natural pasture or natural flowers and animals and stuff for it. And he's doing water that never freezes, which is, you know, kind of interesting because you could kind of realize that Minnesota today was 10 below zero. Uh, but he, he was showing me how he was doing that and trenches for that. And pipes have to be below the freeze line, which is seven or eight feet. And uh, he was talking about how to do that and showing me pictures of it. And he's, he's done a wonderful job. Uh, my thought to him has been, and it still is, that I, many years ago I got him a book by Booker T. Wadley and, and you can't you almost can't find this book in print now if you find one 
it'll cost you hundreds of dollars for a copy of it. But I got him a copy of the book probably about 20 years ago. And that book tells you how to make $100,000 on 10 acres of farming. And it talks about containerized farming. It talks about how to rotate your crops through and, and get and give vegetables and stuff like that, fruits and vegetables, to a local community. Uh, and you can do that on 10 acres. And he was, he was, it's, it's a kind of a classic book, but because it was a minority person, African-American, it never got pushed out very much. But you can't find a copy of it because people who, ever brought, or who, who knew about it bought it, still do, if you can find it. Probably a copy, copy now would be well over 100 bucks if you can find one that would sell it. But you know, that's, that's what I've you know, kind of pushed him into that direction to try to turn, because that farm in Minnesota is 110 acres. I'm sorry, I was just told it was 130 acres. A lot of these things, I'm 75 now, so I don't get everything exactly right. I, I just get it close enough for government work, you know. It's been a long time in the government, so I get getting it close enough for government work. So if I say 106 and it's 130, don't worry about it. There's still a lot of walking to do if you got to walk it. But uh, then as we go down the line, you'd run into Eric, who's very quite quiet. Uh, but he has the distinction of being a, a kid from uh, outstate rural Minnesota who graduated from historically black college, Alabama State, with honors. And he went on from then there to be uh, one of the major technicians at ESPN in Connecticut. He's got a couple show dogs that he does also. But uh, he's he's one of the bigwigs in, at, at ESPN. He does a wonderful job. Then I guess you're down to... Uh, and he's got some enemies, too. Yeah? Yes, he's got a, a number of enemies for some of, some of the shows he's done. You know, those little statues, statues you see, the little statues you see that are golden. And uh, But he's, he's, he's done that, and uh, I'm really proud of him. I jump around with all the kids. Then I guess you have, you have the two ladies and, and the two, two daughters... It's Lynn, and she has uh, three beautiful daughters, and she's very big into into the horse world, and she does that. She's very good at that, and she's in the horse world. And, and you know, her, her youngest daughter, KT, is one of my favorites. She's she's gotten to be very big since I last saw her, but she does a wonderful job. Then uh, we went from them to to uh, Heather. Heather's a homemaker, but she has the distinction of being one of the two people. Bobby was the other one that actually was a student of mine at Auburn University and actually was in class. And uh, when I saw him in class and saw Heather in class, they actually would look like different people. They acted very differently. They were both excellent students. They both got A's that they deserved. And it was a wonderful kind of thing watching that and, you know, teaching some of your children what you're doing. She was, as I said, she, she looked differently and acted differently as a student. Uh, she, lately, uh, she's now married and has another three kids. And she lives up in the, in the Washington, D.C. area. And she, a couple months ago, she got big into the mask uh, craze, and she was making a lot of, a lot of masks for the federal government. And for a lot of companies, is making 
sewing, because she's very good sewing, sewing with sewing machine, but she was making cloth masks, you know, a, a whole bunch of them, she was making them, and she's into a couple of things like that, sewing and stuff, and she, you know, for her kids, she makes Superman soups and Spider-Man soups and suits and all kinds of stuff like that, so she's doing a wonderful job. graduated from the University of Maryland, but she also was at Auburn University, and she's done, done some, you know, she, she did some good stuff, and I guess I'm down to Tommy, I guess, the only one left, is that right? Tommy, Tom. And Tommy is here, and he's, he's my war hero. He's been in Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, he's been in Kuwait, and he's been all, all over the Middle West, the Middle East, and in the, from the communist countries as a soldier, and he's been a soldier since he was 17, and he's now 34 or so, and he's basically, he's only a couple years from retirement, believe it or not, but uh, he's, uh, does a lot with our RV park, he usually runs it, really, and he's, he's become an expert carpenter, he came back after, after he spent his time, time in, in, in war zones. He came back to St. Andrews College and graduated from there. And he's now working part-time doing that and part-time running our RV park, you know, our campground. So he, uh, Tommy's done a wonderful job. So I think I, I, think I got all, all eight in. Did I, honey? Didn't I, Tommy? I mean, Rudy? Yeah, I think that's all eight. I think we're on to the grands now. Oh, do I have any of those? <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. Uh, uh, Hi, Grandpa. There she is, Miss America. How you doing? Uh, how's, how's how's my beautiful girl doing? Good, I'm doing really good. You sound good. Yeah. Well, remember, Grandpa loves you. Okay. I love you too. Okay. If we didn't have this this C19 stuff, I would have seen you a lot more than I see you, but I, I think as soon as I get a vaccine and you get a vaccine, we can probably, I can go up there and give you a hug sometime in the next couple of months, hopefully. Okay, that's cool. I mean, I've got a couple Christmas gifts for you. Really? Um, yeah. Oh yeah, of course I do. Santa Claus stopped by here first and said, make sure you <laughs> give it to the most beautiful girl in the world. And I said, I wonder who that is. Okay. <laughs> But but uh, I guess you better put your daddy back on so we can finish this broadcast. Yeah, I'm here, Daddy. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, then then, then uh, Heather has three little people, and they're they're, they're they're wonderful little kids. And we we met them again. We spent some time with them in London when we went to England about about three years ago. And uh, their daddy was in the Air Force at the time, and so they've lived all over Europe, all over England. And uh, yeah, the oldest one is about, about 11. There's three of them. I'm sorry. I've been told by the boss over here. So listen to every word I say. It's, uh, he's 12 going on 13. And, wow. But he, he's, he's, I remember, I, I remember when he was, his daddy was actually on that boat that, that, that sunk some of the pirates. He's like, he's in the Navy. And he was a naval officer, and uh, 
he's on the boat that they sunk, sunk some, some of the pirates. And uh, it was a destroyer. And uh, so he lived with us for a while with his mother. And he was the fastest little, he, when he started, before he could walk, he could crawl. And he was the fastest little crawl I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, he, just, he just zipped through the rooms. Now, now he zips through rooms walking and running. So that's good. And we have not been able to, because of the C-19 stuff, we have not been able to see any of them or any of you guys pretty much. I saw, saw my granddaughter a little a little bit uh, in almost a year. But if everybody gets vaccinated, and I, and I tell everybody out there, don't play games with this. Get vaccinated. If you can get vaccinated, get vaccinated. You know, don't say I'm not going to take some vaccine for some reason. That's stupid. Get vaccinated. First chance I get, I will, I will, I will get myself vaccinated, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm worried about that as we can because I'm 75, and so therefore I'm, I'm, I'm going to get vaccinated as soon as I can. Uh, and, but so, I tell, so what gonna, do you say to the people that point to Tuskegee and kind of this trust with the government? I think that you know we have publicized that so much, the government won't do that again. The lead scientists on a lot of these vaccines are people of color, women of color. So uh, I kind of think that we're, the ages of doing something like the Tuskegee experiment won't have won't happen in today's times because it's all so public. Remember when the Tuskegee experiment was going on, nobody knew about it. The people in, in study didn't know about it. Uh, the people who were doing study knew about it, but the participants, the black folks who they harmed, they knew what was going on. They knew what was happening there. And it was so uh, racist to do what they did to those men in the Tuskegee and women in the Tuskegee experiment. But I, I, but I agree with this fact that that's why people should be wary about it, but it's too widespread. And too many people are dying from this that if anything will make, make will lessen the amount of people that die, go ahead and take it. I will take it the first chance I can get, and I will make an endeavor to, to find out how to get it, and I'm doing that. So, I said it to any person of color that's listening to this, or anybody in any of the other, other countries, if your, government is, if your government is approving it, take it. You know, don't play with this. This, this virus is the worst thing that's happened since the, the Black Plague hit, hit Europe, you know, six or seven hundred years ago. And so I think the other major critique is kind of the speed in which it was rushed through the FDA, you know. I guess I'm that's not, I, I'm not really worried about that because there's so much money was being spent and so many people were put on the teams to do it. That show was rushed through because the need is so great. People are dying. You know, you got people dropping. Man, this is this has killed our society in America, particularly. I mean, this dropped us down to nothing, and it kind of exposed a lot of the weaknesses of our society. And our society has been, as I look back on it from that perspective. How I am doing, how most of society do, I am doing very, very well. And I look at it all, all, and over time as I went from stage to stage to stage of what I was, we went through over this, these first, you know, 20 episodes or so. 
And the bottom line of that is, I could not have done that in any other country, number one. God has blessed you. Yes, no question. I could not have done that. Uh, none of my children are in, are in, in prison or in jail or, or even have, have the, the sheriff sniffing after them anywhere. And I think that's wonderful. But that's the difference. But it, it has destroyed our society. And when they talk about all the businesses that have went out of business, let's sit down and, and really think about that. Most of the businesses that have been suffered by this were staffed by and sometimes owned, but mostly staffed by people of color, which means they were the lowest rung of society's you know, hierarchy by pay. And it did the hardest work, the intricate work very often. They were the cooks, the garbage men, the people who were ambulance drivers. And that's why they have, those folks lost their jobs. Some of those folks who were in the medical field got killed, died. And I'm saying, so this, this thing, this, this C-19 stuff has had a disproportionate effect on us as a people and as a country, but we were the backbones of the whole country, Keep, keeping everything together, and suddenly we have, we, we got, since we didn't own anything, uh, we, we didn't, uh, basically, couldn't pay rent, couldn't do anything. So uh, this has been devastating to the black community, the brown community, the yellow community, all communities, basically, from lower-income people. This has just been devastating. And I can say that I have personally been very, very lucky. Uh, most of the people that I've come in contact with over time have actually are doing very well also. But when I look back on it, all of those people were in the top 15% of our age group or our societal group forever, basically. That was really the only people I dealt with. My, my parents kind of made sure that I did not hang out with anybody that they thought was disreputable. And they, they got me away from anybody who was, let's say, a bad influence on me. So as I got older, I understood that more, and I never really spent a lot of time with people that were bad influencing on me. So, And I tried to do that with, with all of my children also. If I saw somebody that was... Uh, not a good person, I made sure that child knew about it. And I made sure, you know, in, in no uncertain terms, that that friend would be dropped like a hot potato. And usually it happened. <laughs> happened. And, you know, it usually happened. And sometimes they may have kept up the relationship with that person. But most of the time it was, okay, adios muchachos. And the people said that was kind of mean to do and nobody... It's, my responsibility was to my children to make sure they, they were able to get on to the, in their generation and be leaders in our society whoever, wherever they came from whether it's Minnesota or St. Albans and they've done that none of them are in jail so I've done a pretty good job I think and none of them I think hate me I don't expect any, and none of them have tried to beat me up or anything so I guess I did okay Okay, good. I remember this Chris Rock joke where he says, you know, I think the bar should be a little higher than none of them are in jail. But I I agree that you're a great dad. I think you've done great for me and uh, my daughter. 
you, you set a good legacy for us to trust in God and to be humble. I appreciate you. Well, you know, it's, I never really thought about that until I was, I, was, I was ill about a year ago. And I had to go to all of these hospital things and doctors and wound care and everything else. And I noticed that every time I needed to go somewhere, one of my sons was either there helping me or took me there. And that was yourself, the ones who were visible locally, yourself and Thomas and Bobby. And I felt, you know, I, I thought about that. How many other dads would they would not sometimes be left home and not be allowed to come? But I remember back something that I learned a long, long time ago. Uh, when my father-in-law was in his 70s, he came and lived with us, lived with, lived with us in Alabama from uh, Minnesota. He was a, a big farmer with hundreds of acres. But he's an old guy. He was in his 70s. And he had been a farmer all his life. And I made sure that I, I, I treated him like my, I did my, my, this was my wife's father, but still, like he was my father. And how you show kids how you should treat your, your, your parents is probably how they're going to treat you. If you treat, treat that, your, your, your father and your parents in a certain way and you take care of them, you're probably going to be taken care of too. So I can say that all the kids that have been around me, they, they, they take care of me no matter what. I try to get get by like I'm independent and all that, but everybody else kind of looks looks out, and makes sure I can do it. Uh, I noticed that if I'm thinking of going somewhere, or whatever, one of the kids will say, "Well, I'll take you, Dad. Don't I'll take you, Dad. Don't worry about it." And uh, that happens, so that, I feel good about that, and it shows that I did I did did right by them, and that's good. Closing out the show. What are your words of wisdom for the listeners? Let's pray that 2021 is better than 2020. And let's say good riddance to 2020. And praying that a vaccine will cause us to be away from the health problems we have. But I think one of the things that came out of this epidemic that we have is I think our society is going to be remade into something that's better. And, and it's more, it shouldn't be just a black, black lives matter, but all, all lives matter. And the spotlight on what police brutality has been in some places, I think that that's going to calm down. I think policemen realize that they'll be punished severely for doing things. I looked at what happened to that gentleman, that policeman, and that sheriff in Texas, who went and shot another government employee on a Saturday night, and the guy was just trying to stop a fight from somebody else. He just came and shot the guy. And he immediately was put in jail himself. People looking at that, who are policemen, haven't been a military policeman, uh, look at that and say, I don't, want to, that, I don't want that to happen to me. So I don't have to be that crazy. As I said, when I was a military policeman, I never thought of pulling my pistol or my baton and hitting nobody unless I had to. And I think I pulled my baton once. And I, I know I didn't hit anybody. But I, I never pulled the pistol I had, ever. I never shot it, in fact. Uh, so I think that's what needs to happen now. We're going back to that, which is a good thing. So, but I say to all my, my listeners out there, wherever you are, I hope you have a wonderful holiday, and I wish you wish you well, and God
God bless all of you and yours. Adios, muchachos.